Good morning, everybody. Pastor Steve Hogg here at First Baptist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm so excited you have joined us and you are in for a treat today. Steve Parr is going to be speaking. Now, now I want you to hear him because he is the co-author of this book, While They Stay, which was a major research project that looked at young adults in their 20s to early 30s who had grown up in church and then as young adults stayed in church. You may read in the secular media a lot about why kids leave the church. This research looked at why they stay. And they identified 15 important characteristics that make it more likely your child will grow up to stay connected to the faith, connected to Jesus, and connected to the church. The book is called Why They Stay. I encourage you to order a copy of it. We even changed some things here at First Baptist in how we do ministry in response to what we learn from this research. I am so excited Steve Parr is here and that you get to hear him right now. Let's pray together, and then the next voice you hear will be that of Dr. Steve Parr. Father in heaven, thank you for creating the family, the home. Thank you for allowing us to have a relationship with you, with your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of us who are parents and grandparents want the best for our children and grandchildren. We want them to love Jesus. We want them to serve Jesus. We want them to live a godly life. And we thank you, Father, for what you are going to teach us today from your word and from this research. Bless Dr. Parr, and I pray for every mom and dad, every grandparent, every pastor, every person listening to this message right now. I pray that you teach them, that you speak to them, and that you help them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning, Rock Hill. How you doing? I'm so glad to be here, and I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be at the end of chapter 5 and Ephesians 6 if you want to kind of mark towards the end of the book. And I had a great, great time this morning. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm going to start the way I started, but this is actually a different message. I'm preaching three different messages, uh, so you can just get more of, of what we've learned. And I asked this question this morning, how many of you want your kids and your grandkids not only to come to faith in Jesus... And by the way, not just kids and grandkids, the kids who are around you, you know, your neighbors, your cousins, your nieces, nephews. But how many want your kids, grandkids, kids, not only to come to faith in Christ, but you want to know that maybe long past us that they're serving Christ when they're 35 and 45 and 55 in a local church. If that'd be your heart's desire, say amen. amen. Then you need to tune in right here, not because I'm preaching, by the way, but because of God's word and what we have learned. And, and I, I did some research because what happened was uh, with me, I've got three daughters and of my three daughters two were in church and one was not and that really troubled me about where we'd missed the mark there and also weighing into that the erosion of young adults today and it is happening uh today we're losing for every three high school grads we're losing about two right now and that can't stand we've got to do a better job of pouring into our kids and we're we're learning things about that so a friend of mine uh, and I, we did a national study of young adults, and instead of studying why we're losing young adults, we studied kids, or actually adults, who grew up going to church and found out that many of those were still there. And instead of asking why we're losing them, we asked what kept those who remained connected to the church, thus the title, Why They Stay. 
Now, I'm going to preach from God's Word this morning because I want to show you from God's Word what it is we do to keep kids connected, but I'm going to demonstrate or illustrate it with some of the research that we discovered. Now, as I told the first service, also, my daughter who had strayed, who was out of church, this morning she's in church and she's serving in the church. So God's given us victory there. I'm so thankful. Now, I want to say to you this morning, it may not be true with you. You may have a child who has strayed. You're very troubled by that. I understand that. But we can only work from where we are. So let's learn. Now, in the first service, we talked especially about things we do in the church. And we're going to turn our attention now to the things we do as parents and grandparents that keep our kids connected. Now, we found 15 big things that make a difference. And I don't have time to share all 15 of those. So I'll just give you just a taste of some things that you can begin to apply this morning, whether you're single or married, grandparent, uh, uh, whatever the situation is, you'll be able to apply this. I know as a parent, I love being a parent uh, growing up. I just don't think you've lived until you've been asleep like two or three in the morning. You're in a dead sleep and you feel a little four-year-old finger doing this. You know, you're done that. And you wake up, what is it, baby? And you got a little girl looking at you and say, Daddy, I think I'm going to throw up. Well, get out of my face, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that, I just love it. I remember my youngest daughter one time, she had one of those nights, she was sick, middle of the night, and she was in our bed with Carolyn and I, and uh, she was going through all that you go through when you've got a stomach upset like that, and she looked at me with those big eyes and said, Daddy, she said, this is the worst day of my life, and that was so cute when she was four years of age, you know, for her to say that, and it was just, it was just precious. I, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm not a perfect parent, just want you to know that. Uh, it's a journey. I, I've struggled, and Mine are grown now, but I often felt like when I was raising my kids, like the, the young man who asked a girl out on a date, he's working and there's this beautiful woman and he thought he'd ask her out to dinner. He said, you know, well, let's go out to dinner Friday night. And she said, no, thank you. And man, he made the mistake of asking a follow-up question. He, he said, well, why not? Is there somebody else? She said, there's got to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That, that's how I feel sometimes as a, as a parent, you know what I mean? I'm just wrestling with my kids and, and, and getting them on the right track. And I say, is there anything I can do? And I just you know, get the answer, yeah, there, there's got to be, and there is. And this, this research, but more importantly, God's Word shows us the things that we do that make a difference in the lives of our kids and our grandkids. Now, since you weren't here the first service, I will tell you the three points I made without any commentary. We talked about how that kids who grew up in church attended churches that invested heavily in the next generation. I mean, there was ministry for kids and for teenagers and for college-age young adults. Very clearly, a lot of focus on the next generation without apology. Okay. Secondly, we discovered that the students who were still in church, they had a love for their pastor when they were growing up. And we discovered, listen to this. The more, not, not, not talking about staff, talking about senior pastors, the more pastors a child had growing up, the less likely they were in church. So I want to do what I did last service. I want to commend, I want you to commend a pastor who's been in his place for 34 years. Can I get an amen and say a thank you? That, that matters. That the kids that go here are more likely to be in church because of that long tenure. Not a guarantee, but it does increase the likelihood versus having seven or eight different pastors when they were growing up. And then thirdly, we talked about how that the students who were still in church as adults had a high view of Scripture. And so what you believe about the Word of God and what your church believes about the Word of God and what you teach your children about the Word of God is so important. And we talk about the importance of apologetics and theology. So those were the things we talked about in the first service from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and things that we do as a church. So I said I want to turn the focus now, though, 
to the home because certainly the home in our research trumped what was happening in the church or anywhere else. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 33. And I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're able, even if you're online, if you're able, would you stand while I read God's word? Stand if you would as we read this text. Now, in reading verse 33, it's really summing up the previous 11 verses. As a matter of fact, he says, to sum up, (laughs) to sum up those verses, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself and his wife is to respect her husband. So just spent 11 verses talking about that and then gives that summary statement. And pastor, I love preaching that text. It is so rich to help marriages. And we'll touch on it today, but won't be able to dive too deep. Just just touch on it so we'll see how that impacts your children. But you've got to remember uh, that the Bible, there were not chapters and verses when it was written. It was a letter to the church at Ephesus. And the chapters and verses were added later to make it easier for us to reference things. So this next thought, chapter 6, is not a different thought. It's a continuation of uh, chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. He says, and children, okay, Husbands love wives, wives respect husbands, and boys and girls, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. And then you parents, it says fathers, and he's talking to father, but you parents, okay, beginning with the father, parents, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's very intriguing right here in this very short passage. Paul addresses husbands' relationship to wives, wives' relationship to husbands, children to the parents, and the parents to the children. And there's a lot we can learn there about what keeps kids connected to church and to their adult lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And God, may you just today, through your Holy Spirit, Touch hearts. And Father, I pray specifically about this issue of keeping kids connected to church. But God, I pray if someone right now is struggling with some issue, if they're hurting right now, that through the power of your spirit, you'd minister to whatever their need is. But at the same time, you'd help us to be diligent with our kids and grandkids so that they might not only come to know you in faith, but also serve you into their adult lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So again, we found 15 things that make a difference in the likelihood that your child will end up in church. And we see several of these right here, but I want to share three of those with you this morning. The first one's a little bit tricky, honestly, and I'm going to do this in as measured a way and just ask God to help me to do this so that you'll know where I'm coming from. But let me just state it, but don't overreact to it in your own heart. Just listen to it and let's talk through it from the scripture. The first thing we discovered, and it was not a big surprise, it really reemphasized, there were some surprises in the research, but this was not one. The first thing was that those who grew up in church and were still there, it was commonly true that their parents had a strong marriage when they were growing up. That was, a, a, again, a very common ingredient. Their parents, mom and dad, had a strong marriage. Now, let's go back to verse 33. Again, he's summing up verses 22 to 32, where he says, Each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. And it's very interesting right there, where it doesn't say, Husbands, love your wives, and wives, love your husbands. It really zeroes in onto the heart of men and women and some of the challenges that we face in marriage. And for the man to love his wife, and that love has to be demonstrated and expressed. You know, sometimes men get the attitude, oh, she knows I love her. 
You know, why do I need to tell her? She knows that I love her. No, no, she needs to hear that you love her. I'll just ask you this. You've been married 15, 20, 25, 40 years. Are you still holding hands? It may not matter to you. It matters to her. Those things to tangibly express our love. And interestingly, it does not say wives love your husband. Certainly you should. It says wives respect your husband because, I don't know, men, we're just somehow, if you want us to love you more, when you show us respect and when you treat us like we really are, you're, you're proud of us and you mean something, it makes us want to love you more. But when we feel disrespected, it makes it more of a challenge for us to express our love. And it goes both ways, by the way. But those are some of the things when you begin to dig in that it's talking to here. And it's just getting to this issue how important it is the way that husbands and wives relate to one another. Now, I graduated high school back in 19... And I thought when I got out of high school and then when I got out of college, my days as a student were done. But I'll tell you this. I've learned that a good marriage has required me to be a lifelong learner. I am still learning. I can tell you this, and I'm thankful for it, and it's by God's grace. And because I'm married to a godly woman, I've been married 41 years now. And so I'm thankful for that. And you can applaud that. You're not applauding me. Just thank, thank goodness, you know, because it's, it's a challenge. It has not always been easy. It, it has been work. And, and I'm part, I'm biggest problem there is, I'll be honest with you. But I'm thankful for a wife. And I don't, I don't know if I can express how much that has impacted our daughters. Now I remember our middle daughter when she went off to college. And you know how it is when you're teens and parents sometimes. There's sometimes, well, oftentimes there's tension, quite frankly. It's part of the process. But I remember her going off to college. And I remember coming home and expressing to Carol and I one time. said, Mom, Dad, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your marriage. I never thought about that. She was showing appreciation for our marriage. As she's observing all that's going around with her peers, she's understanding that while she may have struggled with some things in high school, she really had a very good environment. I mean, things may be falling apart at school. It may be a mess in her relationships. Job or the team may not be going well. And it may even be a little shaky at church sometimes. But she knew when she came home, it was a safe harbor. It was a safe haven. And she never questioned whether Carolyn loved and respected me. And she never questioned whether I loved her. And it really served as an anchor for her and made a huge difference. Now, I told you that when I bring up this subject... It's a little bit tricky, and you may be wondering how. And the reason it's tricky is this, okay? It's because you may be in a struggling marriage or a marriage that has been broken. Now, I want to say this to right here on the very front end of this. And what I'm sharing this morning on this point, there is no condemnation whatsoever, zero, okay? There, there's no guilt to be had here or, or to be thrown your way. When we look at the research, what I'm trying to do here is be intellectually honest. We studied those who grew up in church, and we looked at the things that had impacted them when they were growing up. You cannot ignore the fact, even if it does hurt somebody's feelings, though that would not be the intent. You cannot ignore the fact that the parent's marriage had a large bearing over whether they continue to develop spiritually or not. We learned that the Marriage tended to nurture the child spiritually, and the stronger it was, the marriage was, the more nurture that it provided. 
Now, here's the encouraging thing for you if your marriage is struggled or is struggling or if your marriage is broken. That is not an, a, a guarantee one way or the other. It's just a preponderance that it tends to influence. It tends to move that child in the right direction. And so working from where we are now, here's the question. What are we doing to strengthen marriages? Now, I'm talking about, first of all, certainly your marriage. What are you doing to strengthen your marriage? I love to do things with my wife. The other day, she said, uh, uh, let's go out to eat. And I said, sounds good. She, I said, what do you want to do tonight? She said, Steve, she said, let's go to one of those restaurants where the chef cooks in front of you. Ladies, how many of you like the restaurant where the chef cooks in front of you? Raise your hand. So I took her to the Waffle House. And... Uh, <laughs> And they know called the Waffle House Hibachi, okay? And and she no, she says, Steve, I I had something more high class in mind, so we went to the IHOP. And uh, and so anyway, so anyway, I, we do spend time together. We love each other. We uh, just love to pour into each other and, and do things together. And it's so important that we are loving one another and pouring into one another, and our kids are seeing that. But when I talk about pouring into marriages, I'm not just talking about your marriage. What are you doing to pour in not just your marriage? What are you doing to pour into marriages, plural? If you've got a small group that met this morning, what are you doing to strengthen marriages? Oh, but Brother Steve, we're a senior adult class, and all of us have been married for 50 years. God bless you. Thank you. What are you doing to pour into younger adults in their marriages? Say, why would you do that? Because as you're pouring into their marriages, you are increasing the likelihood their children will come to faith and be in church 25 and 35 years from now. What are you doing as a ministry? Even if you teach middle school, what are you doing to pour into marriages? It makes a huge difference. Strong marriages, I want to encourage you here, are, are not trouble-free or absent of conflict. And my, my marriage is not. But what my daughters knew, no matter how shaky it might have seemed for a day or two, we always got through it. And they knew we'd always get through it. And there was never any threats about walking out or doing anything. So it brought stability to them, and it helped, again, to nurture their faith. Now, here's the good uh, news right here. Moms and dads and married adults, a spunky marriage is good for your kids. As important as Bible study is and your pastor is and vacation Bible school and going to church, did you know, men, as you pour into your marriage with your wife, you're helping nurture your child spiritually. Why? Because marriage is a picture of the gospel. That's what Ephesians is about. As a matter of fact, you know, we're called, as the body of Christ, we're called the bride of Christ. And the, the uh, groom, of course, is Jesus himself who loves us unconditionally, although we don't deserve it. You say, wives, you say, my husband does not deserve my respect. It does not say, wives, respect your husbands if they deserve it. None of us deserve it. You just do it out of grace. You demonstrate grace. He demonstrates grace. And you, you adjust as you need to adjust to demonstrate that grace as God through Jesus loves us unconditionally. We give merit to the gospel itself. Now, you say, well, what's that got to do with me? I, I'm a grandparent. My kids have grown right now. And I want to tell you now, I just found out, my daughter who lives here in South Carolina is about to give us our fourth grandchild. Let me tell you something that I've done, grandparents. Do you know what the four leading causes of marital uh, troubles are? The four leading causes. Money. Religion, physical intimacy, there are three of the leading cause of marital distress, okay? Money, religion, physical intimacy. You know what number four is? 
in-laws. One of the four leading causes of marital distress are in-laws. So my wife and I made a decision. If our children have any problems in their marriage, we won't be it. We will not be the problem. They're adults. We will cheer them on. We'll be their biggest cheerleaders. We'll encourage them, but we won't get in the middle of their stuff. And I will tell you, it makes a difference. And not only that, we discovered this or, or thought about this. If it's true that healthy marriages make a big difference. A couple of Christmases ago, we brought our daughters and our sons-in-law together. And we said, we have something for you. And we gave them a certificate. And I'm not going to tell you the amount because your resources are greater than mine in some cases. And less than mine in some cases. But it was a sacrificial amount of money. And we said, girls, and, and to our young sons-in-law, we said, guys, this certificate is for you. If you ever want to attend a marriage conference... It is free for you. We'll pay for your hotel. We'll pay your conference fee. We'll pay your travel. It doesn't cost you a dime. And we want to encourage you to go on some marriage retreats at some point. Secondly, if you ever want to buy a book, books on marriage are free for you. We pay for any book you will buy on marriage out of this account right here with this certificate. And we said, if you ever get in a tough situation and you do need counseling, and it happens sometimes. You don't have to be shy about that. You say, we can't afford it. Yes, you can. I said, because we have provided the resources right here. If you ever need marital counseling without judgment, we will give you the resources for that marital counseling. Now, let me tell you and see if you can see what's going on behind the scenes here. Why am I, as a grandparent, as a parent, why am I pouring into the marriage of my daughters and my sons-in-law? Why am I doing that? Answer out loud. What do you think? Because my grandkids. I know the stronger the marriage of my kids, the more likely my kids not only will come to faith, but they'll be serving him after I'm long gone carrying on this legacy. And so that is my heart's desire there. So parents and grandparents both play a role there. Ephesians 4.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. One of the best investments you can make in the spiritual nurture of your children, men, is to love the mother. And ladies, one of the best investments you can make in the nurture of your sons and daughters is to love their dad. I was in a service like this some time ago, and there was a lady who gave this testimony in Dalton, Georgia. She had an appointment with an attorney scheduled pastor for the following week. She left the service on Monday. She canceled the appointment. She sat down with her husband. She began to share her heart about this, and not just staying together for the children, but honey, let's begin to do what we must to make this thing work, and to do everything for the best for our kids and for us to have the marriage we know we can have and they determined they would not go through with that appointment as a matter of fact today the pastor tells me not only are they in church they are serving in the church today and it was rescued because let me tell you say steve it's not possible you don't know the situation my relationship is in well with men it's not possible but with god all things are possible and don't give up on it if you're not there yet. Now I want to say to some of you, you say, Steve, it's too late because something happened three years ago, five years ago, nine years ago. I told you there's no condemnation. You can't do anything about that. I'm asking from here, moving forward, what are you going to do with, with that? One thing you can do, for example, we discovered was that those who grew up in church and were still there had a strong relationship with both mom and dad. And if they had a strong relationship with one but not the other, they tended to be less likely in church than the one who had a strong relationship with mom and dad. So if the marriage has been broken, then what I'm going to be doing is doing anything I can do to nurture the relationship with the other parent 
to the degree there's no abuse, of course, or any uh, immorality going on. But to the best of my ability, I- I'm not going to be talking down that other parent. As a matter of fact, that's not your place. If, uh, if your former spouse is kind of a, a knucklehead, they'll figure that out. You don't have to tell them. I haven't had a young man tell me once. I said, my dad was a mess. I just, like, I just did not like my mom telling me that. He didn't want her to tell him. It undermined that relationship. So I want to say it's so important that you pour in to your marriage, first of all, but if it's not there, into what you have now and you look going forward. So that's the first anchor is that strong marriages do make a difference in likelihood that kids will be in church as adults. But the second one is this. We discovered those who were still in church, discipline while they were young was very balanced. Look at verse 4. Fathers. Do not stir up anger in your children. Don't, don't frustrate your children. Don't provoke them to wrath. Okay. Do this. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is interesting. He says, bring them up in the training of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. You might think, well, isn't that the same thing? God's not being redundant here through his Holy Spirit. He's trying to demonstrate really two different issues that we deal with as parents. The training is the nurture. Bring them up in the nurture of the Lord. And the instruction is the admonition. So the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So the nurture is this. I love you. You're sweet. You're a smart kid. I like the way you always work hard. Here, have some cookies. Let's go buy Krispy Kreme because the hot sign is on. Where do you want to go on vacation this year? Hey, you can stay up late tonight. Uh, Yes, you can... uh, uh, Yes, we're going to get you a car eventually. You know, these things, uh, you should be in the starting lineup. She should not have broke up with you. Now, this is what grandparents do all the time. It's nurture, nurture, nurture. But parents need to nurture. It's easy when they're crawling up in our lap and they're snuggling with us. The challenge is when they hit about 11, 12, 13, right along there, and all of a sudden they go into adolescence. And we begin to think like Mark Twain. Mark Twain says, when a child turns 13, he said, you should place the child in a barrel, nail the lid shut, and feed him through the knot hole. Mark Twain went on to say, when the child turns 16, close the knot hole. I'm not that pessimistic about it. You know, the Bible says, somebody told me one time, you know, when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac when Isaac was 12 years of age. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. The Bible never says Isaac was 12 years of age. Why are you saying he's 12 years of age? And he said, well, if Isaac were 13, it would not have been a sacrifice. (laughs) Some of us relate to that. We've raised teenagers. And even my girls, too, who were very compliant when they were teenagers, it wasn't as easy to nurture them because they were trying to be more and more independent. And I had one child who was very strong-willed, and you talk about difficult. She was my troubled child in many ways. She's the one serving the Lord today, but it was a very difficult time, and I learned. And, and by God's grace, because I had not done this research, but even when she was struggling, I never stopped loving, not just loving her, I never stopped loving on her and doing fun things. And my daughters will tell you, Dad always had high expectations, and we always had a lot of fun. And what happens sometimes, we stop having fun. And I learned you got to have fun. You gotta be about, you gotta nurture that relationship. You gotta pour into them. You gotta phone over them. You gotta, you gotta brag over them. Even when you don't feel like it, you gotta show the best. But talk about the nurture of the Lord, but the admonition of the Lord. What is that? Admonition is, hey, do your homework. 
eat your vegetables. You're not going to wear that. No, you'll be home by 9 o'clock. No, you can't go there. You're grounded. That's the discipline. That is not the fun part. The kids do not like that, but that's an important part of our parenting. The admonition, the instruction, the discipline. I always try to tell my daughters there's two types of discipline. There is self-discipline and there is daddy discipline. And what I want you to do is learn to be as self-disciplined as you can be so there's very little daddy discipline. And I tried to get that into the lives of my daughters as they were growing up uh, just to make a difference. One thing I will tell you here that I'll say at our noon lunch service today, you know, with our kids, we think sometimes, you know, when they're 16 and 17, there's just some things you can't do with them. Well, my daughters, when they were in college, they went to church. Say, so how can you how can you expect your college daughters to go to church? They're 18. Well, the Bible never says anything about 18. I just thought this was true. As long as I pay, I get a say. As long as I pay, I get a say. So my parenting changed as they got into college. Now as adults, it's really changed. But I never stopped parenting and nurturing and disciplining to some degree. And what we found was this. The child who experienced abuse, certainly their view of God was so damaged they were out of church. But interestingly, if you look on the other extreme where there was not abuse, but what happened was the parent just didn't parent. They just let them do what they want. They just gave up. They were as likely to be out of church as a child who was abused. And so we asked in the survey, were your parents abusive? Were they very strict? Were they somewhat strict? Kind of in the middle. Somewhat lenient. Very lenient or hands off. You say, hands off. Yeah, there are parents who are hands off pretty much after about age 13 or 14. It's amazing. Blows my mind. And we found those who answered here... We're much more likely to be in church, and if you move out to the extremes, the more and more likely they are to be out of church. Now, that's the tricky thing about the point I'm making from the Scripture here. I wish I could give you a pill right now that would bring balance to your life. But what I'm trying to challenge you with this morning is this. As you look at your relationship with your children, are you providing the nurture they need, the love, the fun, the good times Having a good time. And are you equally providing the discipline they need? So when you think about discipline or nurture, when you think about good times or getting tough, which one is most important? Both. They're, they're right here, they're equally important. He doesn't emphasize one over the other. He said you've got to do both. And if you don't, you will frustrate your child. And if you frustrate them, then that begins to affect if you're a believer... And you're saying you love God and you're frustrating them, then that is really beginning to skew or to affect their view of God and Christianity and the gospel. So it is, is a journey. Now I want to say this as a, as, a, as a parent. You can do everything right and things can still go wrong. There's no guarantees here. But if you're doing everything wrong, it's not going to go right. So I had to become a student of marriage To make my marriage the best it could be, I've had to become a student of parenting. I never stopped reading books on parenting as my kids were growing up. Now, I didn't do everything the book said. I didn't agree with everything the book said. But it kept sharpening me and giving me the help that I needed to be the best parent that I could. And I will tell you this. With one of my kids, it got to be such a mess. Pastor, this was very humbling. I had to get some professional assistance. I had to get with somebody who could help get our family through a very tough situation. And we did because I did humble myself to do what needed to be done to help my child and to be the very best 
parent that I could be. So we see this instruction and nurture. It's both. They're both very important. Now, adolescence, as I said, brings a lot of tension. And if you've got a strong-willed child, it will even be higher. We did discover that. It's interesting that we asked the people in the survey, were you very compliant growing up? Or were you somewhat compliant? Were you somewhat strong-willed or very strong-willed? And it's amazing. It turned out to be a fourth of the people were very compliant. A fourth were somewhat compliant. A fourth were somewhat strong-willed. And a fourth were very strong-willed. And it was interesting. There was no variation in those first three groups whether they were in church or not. But those who said I was very strong-willed growing up were very likely, listen to this, not in church. I've done this many times over. Let's take, take your group of 100. And I'll say, how many of you were very compliant growing up? And a lot of people raise their hand. And I'll say, how many of you were somewhat, like me, I was somewhat compliant? Hands go up. How many of you were somewhat strong-willed? Hands go up. I'll say, how many of you were very strong-willed? And in a group of 100, usually one hand will go up. And it says is this. You can be doing a really good job as a parent. And if you've got a very strong-willed child, you've got a very steep climb still, even if you are a great parent. And many times we'll look at a family and they got these three daughters. And, man, they're all so sweet and they're so nice. You think, man, they're such great parents. And they are really good parents. But let me tell you, sometimes you're doing just as good of a job, but you've got caught with a very strong-willed child. And I will say this, if you've got a very strong-willed child, you've got to dig into parenting even deeper than anybody else. Because I've raised two compliant children and one strong-willed child. And the compliant children, man, it was so easy. As a matter of fact, I've got one. I never had to ground her. Let me tell you what happened one night. I came home on a Sunday night, and she's at the dining room table no computer, no TV, nothing. At the table. I said, what are you doing, Larissa? She said, I'm studying. I said, for what? She said, I got a test coming up Friday. I said, are you kidding me? I've never studied on a Sunday in my whole life. I said, you're studying for your test now? She said, yeah. I said, why are you studying now? She said, daddy. She said, you know I've never made a B, don't you? I said, well, me either. <laughs> but for a different reason, <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> I didn't study like that. And she just took care of herself. I've got another child, and I just could not pay her to study on Thursday night before the test. It's not me. It's her nature. And so you got to understand, that plays into the equation sometimes. Mental health issues, being strong-willed. So I want you to know this morning, you may right now have a child who's 36 years of age, and they're out of church. You're thinking, what did I do wrong? It may be that you did nothing wrong. They've just got a different nature. But I will tell you this, God is in the business of healing and saving. You remember the Gadarene demoniac? Man, they had to chain him up. They thought there's no way. But once he encountered Jesus, it really impacted his life and changed his life. And I want to tell you, you never stop praying for and nurturing the relationship that you have with your child, no matter how difficult it has been. I've learned to become a student of parenting. I want to show you one more thing. So strong marriages made a difference. Balanced discipline made a difference. And number three is this. And finally, mom and dad. We found out those who grew up going to church and were still there. They said, my mom and dad served in church when I was growing up. Wow. As a matter of fact, in this text, it talks about bring them up in the instruction. It doesn't say the instruction or good instruction. It says, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. I preached one uh, Mother's Day a couple years back, pastor from uh, 
Luke, I believe, uh, 2.52. It's about Jesus, and it says, uh, it's describing his life from 12 to age 30, because there's nothing said. It, it says he grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. And I preach, what makes a good mom great? He grew in stature. It means his, his mama made him eat his vegetables. He grew in stature. A good mom makes her child eat his vegetables, okay? Be physically strong. He grew in wisdom. I mean, see, intellectually, you know, he got education. Uh, he, he was taught uh, in that educa- education system. He grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in favor with man. Social skills. How to look someone in the eye. How, yes, sir, or no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. How to shake somebody's hand and, and how to engage adults and engage others. How to be friendly. How to make friends. Social skills. So, by the way, any mom can do that whether she's a believer or not. But it says he grew in wisdom and in stature in favor with man. But also it says he grew in favor with God. And that's what makes a good mom great. And when she nurtures not only the wisdom, the stature, the favor with man, the education, the physical nurture and the social skills, but also that relationship with God. And so right here it says you bring them up instruction, not just like the world does, but the instruction of the Lord. And this was very interesting. We asked them about their moms and dads. Did they go to church? Did mom go? Did dad go? Did mom and dad go? Or did your mom serve in church? Did your dad serve in church? Did they both serve in church? And something just went off the charts, we found. And it had nothing to do with attendance, by the way. It had to do with service. We found that when mom and dad both serve at church, now, by the way, it's good to serve the community and serve outside the church, and I commend you to do that, but we found this dynamic. When mom and dad served at the church, that child was twice as likely to be in church as one who grew up where either mom or dad did not serve when they were growing up. Boom. Could not believe it. Now, watch this. Pastor, isn't this true? You can attend church and never serve. Some people do that. And I, I mean, that's just the reality. I'm just being intellectually honest again. You can attend and never serve. But watch this. If you serve, you must of necessity attend. It takes care of it. And they did not say my mom served, although she may have, or my dad served. They said my mom and dad served. And we found that where mom and dad serve, it makes a difference. Why? Because somewhere along the line when they're young, they're going to come across a text where Jesus is asked, which is the most important commandments? Matter of fact, we saw it in the earlier service in Deuteronomy 6. Now, they asked this of the man who's the word of God. He said the most important thing is this. If you were to rank them all, number one, love the Lord your God. How? Tell me how. All your heart. He just say, here's the number one thing. You need to love God a lot. That's not what he said. You need to love God more than other people love God. Nope, that's not what he said. You need to love God a pretty good bit. That's not what he said. He said, hey, listen, here's the key. You've got to learn. This is the most important thing you'll ever do. Teenagers, moms, dads, grandparents, children. The most important thing you'll ever learn is to love God with all you got. All you're capable of loving him with. So if that is true, that's the most important commandment. What does it say to my child if I don't have time to serve? It tells me I love God some. I may even love him a lot. I may even love him more than some other people love him. But now there's a disconnect because I'm not loving with all I've got else I'd be pouring in. And so we found that it matters if you serve in church. And pastor, I was teaching this as a matter of fact. And I was in a church and I was serving as an interim pastor. And a few Sundays later, the ushers came forward. And that's before the pandemic. Ushers came forward. And there were these men and one eight-year-old girl. And so they prayed and they began to take up the offering. And here's this eight-year-old girl. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is, not the name, but who is this eight-year-old girl? Who do you think she is? Tell me. 
It's his daughter. Now, now, pastor, I love to preach. I, got, I look forward to what I got to say every Sunday, don't you? So pastors love to preach. But I'm smart enough to know that eight-year-old girl will not remember my sermon when she's 30 years of age. She won't remember it next week. But that eight-year-old girl, while she'll never remember my sermon and may not remember my name, she'll remember taking up the offering with daddy when she was eight years old. She'll remember that for the rest of her life. You know, I'm not telling you to do this, but I'm telling you, uh, in the choir, it's amazing. In our home church the other day, our praise team had all these adults up here, which is good. And there was a 15-year-old girl on the praise team. And I turned to the pastor. I said, you see that 15-year-old girl there? She's in church for life. See, she's serving now. Her parents are serving now. They're not waiting. It does make an impact whether you are serving or not. It may be being an usher, singing the choir, and they have to see you serving. If you teach a Bible study group, invite and bring your child occasionally, would you, and let them see you serve. If you're a deacon, let them see you do it. Take them to the deacon's meeting, choose the right one, and let them see you deacon, okay? They gotta see you doing it. Let your children see you demonstrate your service because when they see you serving, it makes a difference. We talked about in the last service, investing in the next generation, what takes people like you in order to do that. What's communicated when you serve? Their greatest commandment. You're lending total credibility to the gospel. Yes, it's real. I believe it, and I believe it with all my heart. Grandparents, I want to say this to you. One thing we discovered that this won't encourage you, but I'm going to put it right out there. The key influence in in the life of your child is their mom and dad. And we found while grandparents can have influence, it just didn't even get close to the influence of mom and dad. But I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to do everything I can to influence my grandchildren for the gospel. I'm thankful it happens that their parents are in church right now. But I'll say this. When I was growing up, my parents didn't go to church. We went Easter and Christmas and just sometimes. I don't have time to get into all of that. But I'll tell you, I'm standing here today because of the influence of grandparents. And I'll say this. If you've got grandkids and they're not engaged in church, it may not be that you can take them every Sunday but could you pay for them to go to camp? It matters. Could you bring them to vacation Bible school? Can you bring them to some occasional services? Next week is Mother's Day. It is an opportunity your child, who would, who's 30 and 35 and 40 years of age, who doesn't go to church a single Sunday, you can say, all I want for Mother's Day is this. Will you do me a favor? Next Sunday, would you come and just sit with me while I worship? Just come and sit with me while I worship. And you'll be surprised, because I'll tell you what's going to happen. This pastor... He's going to encourage everybody who's here, and he's going to declare the gospel next week, as he does each and every week. So grandparents, you certainly do have a role to play. As we wrap this up and our musicians get ready to bring this invitation, where do you go from here? Here's the bottom line. You can't take your children or your grandchildren where you have not been or where you're not going. And I want you to know today we're talking about eternal things, and we're talking about the souls of children, teenagers, boys and girls. And if they follow you, where will they be in eternity? If they do follow you, if you're the parent, they probably will, will they follow you into eternal life or to eternal condemnation? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And this morning, if you don't have a personal relationship where you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, that is your greatest need right now. And your child needs the Lord. 
And they need to know that you know the Lord. Do they know that? And I'm inviting you this morning to surrender your heart to Christ. It may be someone that's dear Jesus today. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross. And when you did, it was for my sin. And I believe that you rose again. I believe it by faith. And I'm seeking your forgiveness. And I'm seeking the life that you give. Not only eternal life, but internal life. Life right now. God, I pray today that you'd be my Lord and Savior. And if you prayed that, I'm going to invite you in a moment to come and to say to one of these pastors today, I've trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior and let us celebrate that with you. We would not dare embarrass you, but I'll say this also. If you already know Christ, I want you to think about those you're influencing and that you would pray, Christ, today, I'll refresh my commitment anew, asking you help me in my marriage, help me in my parenting, help me in my relationship at church to do all I can to make a difference for my kids. Would you stand right now? And as you stand, I'm going to pray and we'll have a time of response to what God has said to your heart this morning. Stand right now. Father, as we stand, as we enter this time of invitation, God, may we think about which of those points or maybe all we need to do something with in our own relationships and in the relationships of others. God, help us to encourage one another. Help us to encourage our children. Help us to encourage our adult children to make an impact so that the kids who go here will know Christ and serve Him for all of life to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.